Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. to the POD cast. We're back just after a, a seems like maybe just a 24 hour break. We are back. But the NFL draft is over. We are here to recap it. And I am re-energized. I'm ready. And I'm pretty enthusiastic. We, we have a fun show ahead of us. Uh, we have a nice draft class to talk about. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. I'm the interim coach of this podcast. And I am finally, finally, finally well rested after uh, a gauntlet in, of 70, 72 hours of what it seemed like straight coverage of the uh, the NFL draft. Thank you to everyone who joined us in our live cast for the first two days of the draft and even part of the third day. Um, that was maybe the most fun I've ever had during an NFL draft. So appreciate all the support you guys gave us. Appreciate everyone who just watched, um, everyone who's watching now. I know a lot of you guys were there. Um, it was a blast. And we had so much support from our staff. We had, we had basically everyone from our staff show up at one point or another. Um, and it was just, it was so much fun. So um, thank you for everyone who joined us and thank you to our two guests tonight. I, I shouldn't say two guests, one co-host, one guest. Sorry. I blew it already. Ryan, Ryan Matthews joins us. Back is the rock guy. That's at Ryan underscore POD. Uh, it's okay. I'm hurt, but I'm not, I'm not destroyed. I'm hurt, but I'm not destroyed. Uh, that I mean, that's how I felt at the end of the draft. Not yeah. not just not physically hurt, not emotionally hurt, but physically hurt. Yeah, that's fair. I'm happy to be here as always. And our guest, who is is not a guest to the site, he is he is an integral part of the site. He's also an integral part of our draft coverage. Period. Kent Mathbomb Lee Platty is here. Kent, how are you doing tonight? Fantastic, man. Always glad to be on. Did I put the math bomb in the right place or should it be Kent Lee math bomb, math bomb platy? And wherever you want to throw it. <laughs> I had, I had a couple, I had a couple uh, pods where they're just, they're just calling me math half the time. So that, that works out, I guess. Okay. Cool. Probably that, better than bomb. That's pretty abstract. <laughs> <laughs> I get bomb too. Okay. I, I'm, I'm cool with either of those. They work out. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, on this show, um, guess what you're going to hear? Draft coverage. We're going to talk all about the Detroit Lions draft. We're basically just going to go prospect by prospect by prospect by prospect. Talk about what we like about the pick, what we don't like about the pick. And then if we have time at the end, kind of do a whole little recap of what we thought of the, the, the draft, what we think of the Detroit Lions roster and maybe uh, potential moves that they make after this. So what do you say? We guys just jump right into it. Let's do it. All right. Well, if you don't remember way back, what seems like five years ago, the Lions took Jeff Okuda third overall 
cornerback out of Ohio State, and which would be a little bit of foreshadowing of the kind of players that they would be uh, drafting. Um, guys, we don't really need to go over Jeff Okuda too much as a person uh, or a player. Um, let's just talk about the other options that were on the table and maybe some options that weren't on the table. Um, to the people that say, hey, man, why wasn't this Isaiah Simmons? Why wasn't this Tua? Why wasn't this um, Derek Brown? What do you what do you have to say, Ryan? What do you I feel like the Isaiah Simmons crowd is probably the loudest about this pick. And and this is generally a, a well-received pick, not only locally, but nationally. Um, but there was a, a pretty loud contingent of people who were like, this should have been Isaiah Simmons. What do you have to say to those people? Well, a couple of things. One, I know we've beaten this horse to death and I'm glad that we're finally getting off the draft soon. But <laughs> What we need to say first is we're really unsure of what Isaiah Simmons would have done here in a great way on the Matt Patricia defense. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can talk versatility and you can talk all of these things to death and you can be blue in the face talking about how much you like Isaiah Simmons as a prospect, but you have to think about how he fits in this defense. And I think the reason why the pick Jeff Okuda makes a lot of sense is for all of the reasons that maybe Martin Mayhew made some mistakes in the past. And I think one of the, one of the things that really stood out to me with the Okuda pick was a flashback I had to when the lions had a chance to get a defensive tackle to set themselves up the contingency plan in case they didn't have a star defensive tackle anymore. And instead they chose a tight end. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I I don't think anybody knows what I'm talking about, but (laughs) maybe before my time, yeah. <laughs> what well, I mean, this happened when I was like six years old, so I barely remember, but um, <laughs> deep cut. Anyways, so the reason why Okuda makes sense so much is one, he's a huge fit in the Matt Patricia defense. He's pro- he, he was the best corner in the draft at man. He was the best corner in the draft at press coverage. He's just an elite corner. Now you get him and you have this opportunity to bring him along slowly. And you also have the opportunity to groom him to be the number one cornerback when there is no more Desmond Trufant on this roster. So I know that is a long way of saying also that the lions needed a CB two. They needed a CB two. They didn't need somebody like Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. In their defense. So that, that's, right. that's, that's essentially, I, I think, I think that kind of ties it all up. If anybody has anything else to add to that, feel free. <laughs> Ken, do you, do you have anything, any, like, I don't know, any criticisms of this pick? Any, any worries about Okuda as a prospect? None. Uh, and, and Brian <laughs> already covered pretty much all the concerns about Simmons. You know, the other pick yeah. that, that a lot of people had wanted, at least at first, uh, was Derek Brown, who actually went before Isaiah Simmons. So not only did the lions pass on him, another team that could have used him passed on him. You could argue that a third one did in the Giants. I think they were locked in on a tackle, but um, it wasn't just the Lions that were thinking that there was other players that they could bring along very swiftly that would have an immediate, immediately defined role in the defense and get a ton of snaps. Um, it just makes sense. Uh, Okuda was the best pick that they could have made based on where they were at. Um, the people who want to argue Tua, it's, the medical stuff would have had him flagged very significantly even before he blew up his hip. and there's just, there's just too much risk there. And if you, every draft pick is risk or reward, but when there's that much risk and your team has to win this year, you don't draft a quarterback who's not going to play this year. And you don't draft one that has enough injury concerns where he might never play at any kind of a high level. So um, 
you can call it a safe pick if you want to for Jeff Okuda, uh, but it was just the one that made the most sense. And it has high upside. It's not like a regular low risk safe pick where the ceiling is high. The ceiling is all pro. So right. I'm totally cool with the pick. All right. Last thing before we move on to round two and, and my favorite pick of the draft. Uh, let's let's talk about the trade down stuff. So obviously everyone's ideal scenario with the Lions third overall pick was to trade down to five or six, get Jeff Okuda anyways, pick up a second or third rounder or whatever. That didn't happen. According to Adam Schefter and Bob Quinn himself, they never got a deal on the table. My question to you guys is, do you blame Bob Quinn for not being able to get a deal on the table? Did he not do enough smoke screens? Did he not, um, you know, bargain up, uh, hard enough? You know, we, we've seen Bob Quinn be kind of modest with draft day trades. He had two in this draft, um, but only, I think, five in the previous four drafts. So he's not a guy who's inclined to to trade a lot. Are you guys worried at this point that Bob Quinn can't orchestrate a trade? No, and I think how the how the draft went, I don't think it was just Bob Quinn that had this problem. Yeah. Uh the Dolphins threw up so many smoke screens and and people were giving them credit for it, but really they they've been locked in on Tua since day 1 of 2019. Like they've been <laughs> yeah. forever locked in to Tua and all the smoke screens and stuff, they didn't get a trade offer either and they were trying to get a trade down. Uh the Chargers couldn't get anything going, the Giants couldn't get anything going. Nobody was ever able to really throw up anything that really had any meat and until the Packers jumped up to grab love. But, um, you know, the nobody really had anything going for him in this draft when it came to trade. Um, I, I think that it came down to the, the risk involved in not being able to see the players as much during this draft process. So teams didn't have yeah. that level of confidence that they have that they're going to their guy's going to be gone and they have to have that guy. Um because there was what, six offensive tackles taken in the first round, six corners taken in the first round, six uh, was it six receivers were also taken around a whole bunch of those like three that, yeah. different positions. A lot of teams were simply locked in on those positions and there was options. So right. it just really wasn't a great draft to be able to trade down. I think a healthy Tua would have made it, made this dynamic completely different. Right. Um, but we weren't in that scenario. We have to deal with what we have. So. Yeah. And no, no trades in the top 10 since for the first time since 2015, I think Schefter tweeted out during the draft, Ryan, you got any concerns about no, no trading from, from third overall? No, because the lions ended up with the right guy at the end of the day. Fair enough. So, I mean, you, you can't be too upset with the fact that you ended up with the guy that you wanted, regardless of the position that you drafted him. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Let's move on to day two round two. The Detroit Lions do my favorite thing and draft a running back 35th overall DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, a RAS score of 7.57. I'm just going to let someone else take the reins uh, to start because I already had my rant in our day two recap podcast. Um, Kent, I know you're mostly in the same boat of me, but it, it sounds like you've also warmed up to the DeAndre Swift pick a bit. So, so tell me why. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much because uh, we'll get to those picks, but uh, as the draft went on, there was there was assumptions. Every time we, we look at the draft, people who cover the draft make a certain number of assumptions when you're covering for a specific team. Um, I cover the Lions, so I make assumptions based on the Lions' tendencies, on what they've done, the personnel that they brought in. All those things get taken into account when I make my rankings, when I put my players on the board, when I start looking at what I think the team will do. Uh, and they went against that a lot of ways, this draft. Um, day two happened, and I had no idea what they were doing on offense by the end of it. <laughs> 
It, yeah. Swift didn't make any sense based, based on what I knew before Swift didn't make any sense because getting a guy who couldn't run in a power scheme, there's, there was no way that Swift would hold up in a power scheme the way that we had run it last year under Daryl Bevel and the way that Daryl Bevel had run it previously uh, with the Seahawks. It just wouldn't have worked. So it didn't make any sense. He didn't fit here. He was JK. He was a uh, Dob or uh, McKissick. He was just McKissick, JD McKissick. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make any sense. Um, and then they took Jonah Jackson in third, which we'll get to in a minute, but same thing is by himself. Jackson was a weird fit because of how Bible had used his guards before, how Jeff Davidson has used his guards before Jackson didn't make a lot of sense. He was the fallback guy in case you missed out on the other guys that could move a little bit better in space. Um, but when you took those two together, it made even less sense sense because they don't complement each other well, based on how we were looking at our, our offense from last season. Um, once you start looking at things a little bit differently and you start looking at, well, maybe this isn't going to be the exact same offense as last year. And I'm not talking a full scheme change, just a little bit of a tweak up front on, on how they use their blockers. Uh, the lions of course moved on from Jeff Davidson. They went to Hank Fraley this year as their offensive line coach. Hank Fraley is a Jeff Davidson disciple. He worked under him several different stops They're They've worked together very intimately in the past. Um, it just made sense that, that we were going to carry on the same way that we had before. We've had those types of situations and there was just no change from one year to the next, but it doesn't look like that's the case. It looks like the team is doing some things a little bit differently up front. They're trying to use their guards to act as the anchors as the power guys in the offense who are going to, going to anchor the line and they're going to use their extremely athletic center in Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker and Halapula Vadi Vitae as their guys that'll pull the guys that'll be on the move. When you look at it that way in a different, in a different light, a guy like Swift makes total sense. Uh, it's still not a pick I would have made as uh, it just wouldn't have been. I, I still would have picked up the better blocker there and tried to pick up a running back a little bit later, a Keyshawn Vaughn or somebody like that. That's still got a little bit of juice to him. Um, but the lions thought they could get their guys a little bit later. Ultimately they got a couple of guys that fit that type of offense. So um, I felt a little bit better about it. I still didn't grade it very highly because the value just isn't there to draft a running back in the second round when your roster is built the way the Lions is. There's just too many holes. Uh, we don't have that luxury. So, All right, Ryan, before before I jump into it, can you say something nice about DeAndre Swift? <laughs> yeah, I can say some really nice things about DeAndre Swift. I, okay. Kent, Kent, hit the, Kent hit the nail on the head. You know, as, as we looked at this pick as a... Um, uh, a, a way to move forward with how the lions used to do things. It didn't make a whole lot of sense, but now when you think about things and how the lions roster shapes up, especially up front and now even in their, you know, in their backfield, the lions have some versatility and I want to view Swift as more than just a running back. I know that he's going to, he's going to be a runner. He's going to, he's going to get carries. He's going to be a contributor in that way. But I really think one thing that, a lot of people should keep in mind is his ability as a receiver. I think he was the best receiving back in the class. I think that he was the best route runner of any running back in the class. He had just three drops in 90 targets over his career at Georgia. I mean, he's got some good hands on him. He's a good route runner. I think that finally us lions fans will get everything we want and maybe we'll get some carry on Johnson and Deandre Swift split back sets motion out DeAndre Swift out into the slot, do some fun things with him. He's a home run threat. He's got juice. He's got wiggle. I understand the positional value and I will, I will never argue with you guys that DeAndre Swift did, isn't the most sensible pick. I agree with Kent. Maybe you get one of the better guards. Maybe you, maybe you take one of the 
defensive tackles. Maybe you end up with AJ Epinesa. They had the chance to get their quote unquote, everybody's everybody's dream pick was AJ Epinesa at this point, but then they, they swerved and they swerved into literally a draft ditch that I think a lot of us were like, you hit a home run with the first pick and then you do this to us. It, it was Bob Quinn striking again in the second round, but I, I want people to be a little bit more optimistic about DeAndre Swift because of his versatility. And I know that's a huge buzzword in Detroit, but I, I really think that moving forward in this change, this changeover that you see with the way that they're building their offensive line, with the way that they're valuing their running backs, maybe DeAndre Swift was their guy and they thought there's no way he's going to last any longer than this. So we have to take him here. And that's the only defense I can really make of the pick where it was. Um, well, but yeah, yeah. I, I like DeAndre Swift and I think Lions fans should too. I, I think you're right there. And, and one thing I'd like to point out that people need to f- remember here, um, the fact that we might be seeing an offensive scheme change or, or tweak makes a lot of sense, right? Because this is just Daryl Bevel's second year. He joined the team pretty late last year. And so he probably didn't get a full season to, to scheme, to, to scout what he's, I mean, he wasn't on any team. He wasn't really scouting necessarily anybody. Um, Kyle Kasky, the, the running back coach. Also, Carryon Johnson's not his running back. They didn't draft him when, with Kyle Kasky there. So we're talking about kind of a whole new uh, coaching staff getting used to having a full offseason together of, of scouting and getting the guys that they want. And I think that's why you saw that the Lions drafted four offensive guys in a row here um, or after, sorry, after the next pick. Um, they're getting their guys. And so there is some sort of change happening. And even though they were successful last year, I think there was some stuff that they wanted to do that they weren't able to do. Now I have my it. issues. I was going to jump on that. Cause that <laughs> I have, you, you mentioned that I was going to, I was going to throw that in about, about last year, because I think that they wanted to do this last year, but couldn't. Yeah. I mean, you look at how, how little they use Graham Glasgow, that drove us mad how they right. were using Graham Glasgow, how little they valued him. But he's not that type of guy. He's not that overpoweringly powerful guy. He's much lighter on his feet. He can move. You know, he, there's a lot of ways that Graham went won, but he isn't the kind of guy that they wanted to use in the scheme. And who got the most snaps at running back last year for the Lions? Do you remember? Nope. Ty, Ty Johnson. Was it really? Aaron was hurt. Aaron was hurt. Yeah. And Scarborough came in later in the year. Everybody else got hurt, but the most snaps went to Ty Johnson. I think they wanted to use a lot more speed in that, that offense and just couldn't because they didn't have anybody and all they had were the bruisers. So they just made, made with do with what they could. And now we're starting to see them actually putting in some of the pieces that help will help them run it how they want to. I mean, it remains to be seen whether or not it works, but I think they wanted to do some of this last year and just weren't able to. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like with the defense, right? It took a year or two for them to finally get the guys they want to be able to do some of the things they want. So maybe that's what what this is all about. Um, I do have my issues about the value, just like you guys, about spending a a 35th overall pick on a running back. I I started kind of digging into the numbers because, you know, while I've, you know, been kind of on this hill for a long time about not drafting a guy um, this high running back this high. I wanted to dive in the numbers to make sure it was true because on the surface, it sounds true. You think about all of like the success stories about running backs, all of them kind of have tragic endings after their first contract. Like Le'Veon Bell had a big holdout for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, we, we just saw, um, God, who are, the, I mean, 
some of the newest guys. That, that, Devonta Freeman. Devonta Freeman. I yeah. mean, you, you just, no one seems to ever make a, a second contract. So I dug into the, the history a little bit um, of the most recent guys drafted that have faced that decision on a second contract. Now, so from 2012 mm-hmm. to 2016, 19 running backs were drafted in the first and second round. You know how many of them saw a second contract with their team, their original team? Four. Four. Four of 19. And one of those got a one-year extension and got cut in the preseason. So really only three. Eight were cut or traded in three or or fewer seasons. You're Amir Abdullah's, you know? And so that's almost half. And so there's a big concern. Now... I will admit I dug a little deeper because I I wanted to see like, okay, well, you know, that's a pretty small subset. I looked at the most recent running backs. Now they haven't, you know, had that decision yet, whether they have to face a second contract or not, but I looked at approximate value because my study there is like, okay, well, a lot of running backs busted. What about all the other positions? So I looked at approximate value uh, in terms of, so approximate value is is basically an, an overarching stat that does its best to compare uh, like put a number on someone's career, how valuable they were to the team. You can compare it to between positions. I mean, it's never going to be easy to compare how valuable a running back is to a quarterback or a wide receiver or an offensive guard or anything like that. But this is the best we've got. And so over the past three or so years, it's actually been incredible running backs from 2016 to 2019, their average approximate value in the first two rounds 18.3 non-running backs, 12.1. So you have to wonder, is this a trend? Is run are running backs suddenly becoming more valuable again? We we say the NFL is cyclical. Maybe running backs are being more, maybe running backs are more valuable, but there's a lot of other conclusions you can draw from this. You can say, well, running backs are more valuable at the beginning of their careers than any other positions because they're plug and play. So when you're talking about guys from 2016 to 2019, yeah, teams are getting running back value right away it might take other some extra time to to develop, you know, a cornerback or a guard or a tackle or anything like that. All I'm saying is I'm a little more open to the idea after digging my into them into my numbers. I'm going to do a little more research. I'm going to do a post on it on Pride of Detroit, but still I'm I'm skeptical because we we, we well, can look well, around well. the league. Post with numbers. But you have a guy Sorry. For that. I I'm not <laughs> trying to step on your toes, man. I'm just saying. I'm step, just throwing numbers out there. Hopefully that all made sense. Hopefully all the numbers you can, you can digest in your head. I know Kent was probably following me to a T and I know Matthew Stafford is cause that dude can do crazy numbers in his brain. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind here because I know the lines love this guy. Um, I, I understand, you know, it, it might be just the new regime getting their guys, but I mean, there's something inherently repulsive to me about drafting a running back in the second round twice in three years. That's rough. That's rough. And I'll could've leave it worse. There. Could have been worse. Bob Quinn could have traded up. <laughs> True. Yeah. But 35 overall is almost like he did to trade up already. I know. I know. But <laughs> the, the first running back that came off the board was in the first round. True. So, I mean, if Bob Quinn had an inkling of, hey, the Chiefs are going to go running back, how mad would you have been if they would have moved up from day two to day one to take a running back? See, it could always Why are you be trying worse. to get me more mad. <laughs> it could always be worse, Jeremy. I That's so. the point I'm trying to make. And also, but how do we feel about DeAndre Swift as a player, though? I'm. Ha- I mean, I'm. He's a three-down back, and that's important because you know they they, they like versatility. They they like 
the thing is they're, they're not going to workhorse him either. Um, they, they said specifically like Shouldn't. Bob Quinn, Bob Quinn has always said like, I don't like doing that. There's only a handful of guys that can do that. And based on his words after, you know, the, the, the draft, they don't view Swift as that guy, but he's capable of basically being in every down that they want. If a guy gets injured, he can be a third down back. He's a great pass protector. If they want him to be a pass catcher, like you said, um, he's, he's good at that. And I think he's even, you know, he plays a pretty physical, uh, you know, demeanor, even though he's not necessarily a big bulky back, I think he can be a goal line or a third down as well. So um, in terms of a prospect, he's, he's good. He's borderline. Great. Um, I just worry about, you know, the, the running back value there. That's it. That's it. And you mentioned that, and you mentioned the durability, you know, the lions have carry on Johnson and Bo Scarborough who both have a laundry list of injuries in their, their college and pro careers. Uh, Swift comes in. He's had a couple of shoulder injuries that he's had to deal with. He, he didn't miss a whole lot of time in college, but neither did Mikel Ashur. Neither did several of the other guys the Lions have taken that got dinged up. Running back's a very physical job. You get hurt. Carrion Johnson didn't miss um, a lot of college games either. He didn't miss a lot of time, but he did have way a lot of injuries that he played through. Right. His were a bit more a bit more worrisome than Swift's were. Um, I think it's mainly just Swift's shoulder that came in. Um, he also has some fumbling concerns. You and I, I think, talked about that off air yesterday, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's as big of a concern as it was getting made out to be pre-draft, but I, I think it's definitely something to pay attention to. Um, you know, he's not a flawless prospect. He's not somebody you're going to look at. And and you mentioned he's a three down back. That doesn't have the same meaning that it used to have. It used to mean he's playing all three downs. And now it means <laughs> you, you can play him right. on any of, on any of the three downs. Exactly. Not, yes. not that he's going to play all three. Um, and it's an important to make that distinction. If you're thinking that, that Deandre Swift is going to come in here and play every snap, you're going to yep. be disappointed very quickly. Um, this team is going to rotate its backs. We're probably going to have four active on game day. Um, obviously Swift Johnson, one other one. Um, and then we'll get to the other, that fourth one here when we get to our fifth round guys. But um, you know, there's, there's probably going to be four backs active plus a fullback. All right. And I think we'll leave it at that so that we can get to some of those later guys. When we come back, we're going to talk about our other day two picks. We've we're only too deep. We got seven more guys to talk about. So you guys better stick around. We got a lot more to talk about on our 2020 NFL Detroit Lions draft recap show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L 
V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on our Pride of Detroit, Detroit Lions 2020 draft recap show. We are only two guys into this draft class of nine. So let's jump right into it with the third pick in the NFL, a third round pick in the NFL draft. Detroit Lions took what I think is most likely their most popular pick, defensive end, edge, linebacker, whatever you want to call him, Julian O'Quara out of Notre Dame. Brother reunion in Detroit. Guys, how... Was this your favorite pick of the draft? Let me ask that first, and, and let's go to Ryan first. Favorite pick? Mm, not my favorite pick. My favorite pick was Jeff Okuda, but Fair this enough. was a close second. And it's interesting because um, there weren't too many. Uh, Derek Brown actually went, you know, before Isaiah Simmons. The Carolina Panthers spent their entire draft on defensive picks. Um, but as far as as far as selections for the lions go, uh, getting, getting Julian Aquara of, of arguably a first round talent, had he had the opportunity to, you know, test out at the combine and do all the things that we thought he would have done as I'm sure Kent will get into. But, uh, I mean, as far as value, this might be the most valuable pick the lions made. You agree, Kent? I don't think that Okwara would have went in the first round. I think that he was on his way to being in that discussion. I think he would have been one of those guys that, that fell where the Lions picked him. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't fit every defense, uh, but I'm glad that he landed here. He's way more athletic than his brother is, significantly better prospect. Um, he's a perfect fit for the scheme. I saw some people talking about the Lions moving away from having a jack because they drafted Okwara. I don't see that at all. I think he's the perfect fit for that role specifically. Um, he's, he's definitely a baller. He's a guy that, that immediately walks into a starting role here and will probably play a majority of snaps. Yeah. Um, he had one of the best PFF pass rush rates in the entire country last year in, in the entire draft class. Like you said, he's a perfect fit. And, and I actually want to talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about where, let's talk about like his year one role with this team. Is he a guy that comes in and he's Devon Kennard? Like, Right away, he's Devon Kennard. He's he's taking 70, 80% of snaps. Or are they doing a little bit of a rotation at Jack? Does he sometimes put his hand in the dirt and and get in, a, in the opposite defensive end position if the Lions go four down? Um, where do you guys expect him to, to be on this Lions roster in 2020, assuming there's a 2020 season? Yeah, you already said, I think, I think he immediately rolls into that Jack role like day one. I think he, he immediately either plays at the same level or better than Kennard did. Um, and what well, that may seem like asking a lot, but I don't, I don't really think that it is. I think, I think that Kennard played at a level that a third round draft pick could replace pretty easily. Um, especially one of the caliber of, of Julian Aquara. So um, a perfect fit for the defense. He's going to jump right into that role uh, just by necessity of how the defense works. I think they'll move him around because they move everybody around. Yeah. But he's, He's going to play, I, I guessed, at at least 67% of snaps, two-thirds of snaps, um, was my guess. And I, I think he hits that very easily. Ryan, do you agree? And and if so, what does this mean for poor Austin Bryant? Um, it means Austin Bryant hopefully can still have a roster spot and he can be the ice player in case of emergency. So, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I don't know how much positional versatility Aquara has just because of like what Kent said, he's not necessarily going to fit into every scheme. So I don't know if he is the kind of guy who might get his hand in the dirt. I think he needs to be 
off the ball. And I think he needs to be that Jack linebacker role in order to work his pass rush moves because of all the tape that I've watched, I mean, he's, he's obviously a guy who converts like speed to power, like no, no one else. I mean, he, he really has that, he has that explosiveness um, in his game. So I think that's, I think you want him up and I think you want him playing that Jack linebacker role. And I think that he could play it from day one, just like Kent said, maybe as good as, if not better than what Devin Kennard was providing here last season. I think the one big question I have for this pick and, and I, I love it too, is what about run defense? This, this isn't necessarily the kind of pick that we come to expect from the Lions because Julian Okwara is mostly a pass rusher. And it's not to say he's a bad run defender, but the, the one thing, if he's fitting Devon Kennard's r- role, the one thing Devon Kennard did very well was set the edge, was make sure that runs didn't get on the outside on him. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't have that second aspect to his game of pass rushing. He was one of the worst on the team at pass rushing. So we know Aquara can fix that part of him, but he can he maintain the good part of Devon Kennard? And I'm not sure the answer is yes right away. Maybe not. I mean, he is a rookie. Guy? Yeah, I was gonna say maybe not. He is a rookie. There's there's gonna be a learning curve. Um, and there's probably gonna be some growing pains, just as there was with Jelani Tavai. And I know it's a different role, but I mean that transition from from college to the NFL game is is a tough one for everybody to make. So I don't I I'd, I'd I'd be I'd be shocked to Here's the thing. People are going to have really high expectations for Aquara because of the way that he's being touted as the, one of the bigger steals of the draft. Um, you know, uh, a surefire lock to be a, a great fit in Matt Patricia's scheme. Hopefully people don't go so far one way with him that once he starts to, it's almost kind of like the Trey flowers effect last season where Trey flowers isn't getting any sacks. Is he, is he effective? Is, was he worth all this money? I hope that the discourse around surrounding Julian O'Quara doesn't shift to that if he struggles to begin his NFL career. Yeah, and I think I think at his at his best, he's easily going to fill that role, including the run defense part for Devon Kennard. Um, but he did have an injury last year, and while it wasn't a serious injury, not one that has any long term concerns, just broke his leg. I'm not broke a very big injury. <laughs> just broke his leg. Just broke his fibula. It's not <laughs> a big deal. <laughs> Throw some dirt on like it. Seven weeks. Yeah. yeah. You're not even <laughs> going on IR. <laughs> From a long-term perspective, it doesn't have a whole lot of lasting implications. Right. Um, but he has been out of football for a good deal of time. And I mean, the quarantine obviously makes it difficult for everybody, but Okwara was already out of football for a good deal of time now. And he's going to be trying to come back at a very rough time, like everybody else is with at a bit of a disadvantage. Um, and he's a rookie rookies make rookie mistakes. Uh, one of the big buzzwords you're going to keep hearing us say is, is assignment sound when we're talking about a lot of the Lions players, because that's huge in Matt Patricia's defense is just being assignment sound. It's not necessarily being able to blow up every play. It's just being able to be where you're supposed to be, and do your thing, which is why we don't like our linebackers so much, but <laughs> The rest of the guys, I mean, if that's one of Devon Kennard's best traits is Devon Kennard was very rarely away from where he was supposed to be. Aquara is going to have those moments. He's going to try to do too much. He's going to try yeah. to make that big play and get ran out of it. And that, that was one of the issues he ran into in college occasionally. He was getting run outside of the play because he likes to use his athleticism. There's going to be those moments. So don't, don't think that when we say, oh, yeah, just like Devon Kennard, but better. We don't, we don't mean that that's going to be every right single away. game, every single time. Yeah. Right. 
All right, let's move on to the next. And, you know, let's just package these next picks. Uh, Their second, third round pick, they go grab OSU guard Jonah Jackson. And then in the fourth round, they go guard again. Kentucky's Logan Stenberg. Um, Guys, did they pick up their starting left and right guard in this draft? Maybe. (laughs) Um, So I talked earlier, and it's a good time to jump into it, about how I think that they're doing some different things up front. Um, these guys are a great example of, of what we're talking about. The Lions previously and Daryl Bevel and Jeff Davidson had all previously preferred guards that were a bit more nimble, a bit more light on their feet, guys that could move across a formation and do some pulls uh, to be able to take on blockers across a formation. So you always have a player that's going to anchor and a player that's going to move when you're doing some kind of zone play. Um, somebody's got to be there to catch whoever's at running forward, trying to murder the quarterback or the running back. And somebody goes on the move and tries to take on somebody else at a different spot. It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. In most of those schemes, the guards are the guys that do a lot of the moving. And that's what the expectation was. They were going to continue doing that. I think the guards are going to be the anchors now, or at least I would hope they would be with who they picked up. If those are our starting, starting guards, Uh, neither Jackson nor Stenberg are very good on the move. Neither of them are very nimble or agile. Uh, uh, Jackson had a 507 shuttle, which is just atrocious. Um, (laughs) It's, it's, it's not good. Um, The only pro bowl guard that had a a similar or worse shuttle time that since 2010 was uh, Larry Warford. Mm. Very famous, very famously came into the combine so out of shape that he was referred to as sloppy and fat, like straight up fat guys were straight up just calling him fat at the combine and obviously he cleaned all that up before he got to training camp there was whole stories written about how much better he looked at camp than the combine but that's how that's who his shuttle's being compared to a guy that was insanely out of shape it's not great um don't take away from the fact that he's a good blocker and he's great when he's moving forward he's a very explosive guy he can move a person in front of him so when we say he's not good on the move we don't mean that he can't move people uh, that's something that he's very good at. Um, he has played uh, multiple spots on the Ohio State offensive line. I don't think he will here. Um, Brett Whitman, friend of the show, we had talked about it. I think he's. I think he's probably just a left guard here. I don't think there's a lot of versatility. Same thing with Stenberg, probably locked in as a right guard. I don't think there's a lot of versatility to his game either. He seems like a very one side type of guy. Um, good segue into uh, Logan Stenberg. Um, he's a guy that I said was not a fit for the Lions because, again, I was just making assumptions about how the offense was going to look. Um, but after the Jackson pick, if, if I had known that was coming, he would have been a guy I jumped on. Um, if you want to build an identity on an offense, get a guy who's going to punch people in the face and then drag them to the ground and punch them a few more times. Um, he's very similar from an attitude standpoint to Richie Incognito. Someone in chat mentioned off, him, yeah. <laughs> minus the off-field crap. Right. Um, but from an attitude standpoint on the field, very similar to Richie Incognito. Now, yeah. there's a downside to that. Penalties. He's probably going to get a lot of penalties. <laughs> uh, hopefully he can clean that up a little bit and try to not in, make it a negative impact on the team. I mean, you hurt your team when you do that. Um, yeah. But... Hopefully they can get that cleaned up. Um, I know I've seen people say that like some people just are who they are and you can't clean up those sorts of things. That's not true in the NFL. We've seen guys that have, have changed their MO once they got in the NFL, cleaned up those things. Dozens of times we've seen that over the years, guys that just, just simply learned to know when to stop 
And if Stenberg can do that, we should be fine. If he can't, that will be a recurring problem. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I think both of these guys are really described as maulers, you know, and, and you, you talked about their strengths. You talk about them being able to move guys. You talk about their mean attitude. The Lions, I mean, for, for as much talent as they've had on the offensive line, they haven't had a lot of mean guys. Like you mentioned Larry Warford, super nice guy. You mentioned Graham Glasgow, super nice guy. And I'm not like saying you have to be that. mean to be good. What? Lincoln Tomlinson, super nice guy. Yeah. And I'm not saying yeah. you have to be mean really to be nice good, guy, but they're, they're definitely getting a different identity here. Like, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily, I mean, you, you think back to like Dominic Rayola and, and whether that, that that's a good or a bad player. Oh, that's up a, to you. That's a good, that's a good example though. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like where I think Stenberg is specifically because I mean, on his conference call, it was, was wild. He's talking about, I want to bring football back to like the ground and pound days and none of this like two hand touch stuff. And of, of course, like, <laughs> of course, Matt Patricia fell in love with that guy. No question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. I guess my question though, is like, is this, is this a like formulating a run identity? Because both these guys are actually, they got pretty pretty clean records. It's pass protectors. Although I think you know their athletic profile, their mean profile, that suggests a guy that likes to run. Uh, in Kentucky, that's basically all they did is run the ball. Uh, so Logan right. definitely knows how to run block. Um, but like I said, clean record as a, as a pass blocker. So Ryan, where do you view these guys on kind of the run pass spectrum? Are they one of these rare guys that can that can do both pretty well? Yeah, I mean. You, you would hope so. It's really going to be their scheme dependent. And, you know, Kent talked about how the scheme is changing a little bit. And I think that it's going to better suit what both of these guys can do just because they don't have the athletic profiles of what the lions were running before. But now as we move into this different, uh, this kind of like different identity that they have, so to speak, I mean, they got two guards that are like you already mentioned, they're pretty good at pass blocking. Uh, when you look at Jonah Jackson, he was regarded as one of the best pass blocking guards, if not the best pass blocking guard in the draft because of his ability to process at the, at the offensive line, his, his hands are phenomenal. Um, and he, he's really good at re-anchoring. Uh, so, I mean, you get Jonah Jackson who, I think, I think his calling card more so Jonah Jackson is his pass set, his pass sets and his pass blocking ability. Whereas Mm -hmm. Stenberg is more of this mean, nasty, Hey, I want to literally put you in the ground and then six feet below that. Um, (laughs) And, you know, Kentucky didn't do a whole lot of throwing, but um, you know, in, in their scheme, he had one of those silly stats where I don't know, so many pass blocking snaps and no sacks or whatever, but um, yeah. So they're definitely developing a type because as somebody mentioned too, uh, during the draft process, after they took Stenberg, I mean, we saw those same stats about Frank Ragnow Um, and uh, athletically though, Ragnow can't remind me it was, was Ragnow athletically as, as talent. Well, I guess I shouldn't say as talented as these guys, because these guys come in as relatively yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, well, maybe, maybe that's something that value most, most athletic centers all the time. Right. So I was going to say that that might be a, a position specific thing with their center. And mm-hmm. maybe that's why they didn't value somebody like Graham Glasgow, who had a little bit more of an athletic profile than, than what these guys have now. And I like what you brought up about, about how Kentucky didn't run a whole lot. I think it's really interesting. The two types, because Jeremy, you mentioned they're maulers. They're both maulers, but they're not both 
mauling run blockers. Right. They could be, but that's not how they win. Stenberg was a monster in the run game, but he wasn't that great in the passing game, despite that stat. It's just that Kentucky didn't pass all that much. They were such a big running team that when they did pass, a lot of times teams were still playing as if it was a run play. Right. They don't get pressured as fast or as much. So he didn't really get challenged as much in the right. passing game. I think that contributed as much to his good stat in that area, more so than just being a good pass blocker. Whereas with Jonah Jackson, that was his calling card. You know, we always talk about Maulers and we immediately jump to the run game, but it's pass game too. You know, the, an offensive lineman is trying to bury his guy every play. If a guy's in the dirt, he can't chase your quarterback. <laughs> he just he's just he's got to get back up first yeah so that's what he would do in the passing game he would he would bury people he's a very powerful dude so i it's it's interesting though because the developmental traits for both are pretty much the same because you're just trying to do okay now take this now do it on the move for uh, jonah jackson because he's got the run the the pass game down and then for stenberg it's like okay same thing just don't hold and make sure you don't get penalty as you're bearing him in the turf. You know, it's, there's a lot of very similar developmental traits between those two guys. They win in different ways doing the same thing. If that makes sense. Sure. Okay. Last question on the guards before we, we move into further day three picks. Um, I've seen a couple of people joke about it, but I have to ask, is the guard rotation coming back in 2020? Uh, Lord, I hope not. <laughs> if, well, if not, who who are your starting guards? Day one. So, that's a tough thing to do without training camp. I yeah, yeah. I ask the tough questions here, Ryan. Oh yeah, sure you do. <laughs> I want you're being quiet. Ryan started talking first. He's got it. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you can come to any. I don't think you can come to any sweeping conclusions. I mean, during our break, can't. <laughs> during, during, but what I'm saying, what I'm going to say is, during our break, we talked about one of the. If the Lions are interested in any free agents, who would you be interested in? DJ Fluker. Why DJ Fluker? Well, because I don't know if I'm fully set on these guys being my starting guards. I I want to have a camp competition, and I mean, they brought in a ton of talent to do that. Garnett. Brought back Odey Abushi, yeah. Kenny Wiggins. I mean, who knows how many of these guys are going to stick? Fair. So, I'm, so I'm going to give you my answer, but it ain't the answer I want to give. Okay. So I, I think the answer. I think the answer is yes, and I find it hard to justify knowing what we know about the team that they won't do it again. Because now, same thing as last year, only rookies. <laughs> so I, I think it's almost a certainty that we're going to see this stupid guard rotation again, but it's going to be for different reasons. I think we're going to start seeing uh, Stenberg on the right side during rushing downs with uh, Jackson on the left side during primarily pass sets. And they'll get a majority of the snaps. I think if, if, if uh, Stenberg's able to win that right guard spot, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see both of those guys will start and get a majority of the snaps. They'll be the primary guy in the rotation. If you, but then whoever wins that, that backup job, they're going to be in probably 20, 30% of the snaps uh, when we're in those game on the line situations. Because again, Logan Stenberg, and those backbreaking penalties that he did at Kentucky, you can't do that uh, at the end of the half with three points down and you're going in on a drive. You can't have that. That's an interesting point. Yeah, maybe. And, and since I think pass blocking is going to be the thing he needs to work on the boat the most, maybe those end of end of, you know, half drives, they take him out. 
Um, I hope they don't do any rotation within a drive. That seems kind of crazy. They didn't do that last year was drive by drive, but we'll see. We'll see. And that will do it for our, our second segment. We are kind of crawling our way around because we, we love talking about the new guys. We got four more new guys to talk about. So stick around this last third segment. We're going to tackle all four of them and maybe give you a little recap of everything at the end as well. So stick around. Day three of the Lions draft recap is coming at you. And we're back with our final segment of the Pride of Detroit, Detroit Lions draft recap show. We are through what? Uh, five, five prospects, five draft picks. Time to move on to the fifth round and later. Let's start right away with, um, I don't know what I would call this pick. It, it was maybe the most unexpected pick at the time uh, of the draft, one that, wasn't a name a lot of people had uh, on their draft boards when it comes to wide receivers because it was such a deep class. Uh, Quintez Cephas out of Wisconsin with the 166 overall pick. Um, let's go to you, Ryan, first. What was your initial reaction when the Lions made this pick? And now that you've had 24 hours to consume it, um, what, are, what are your thoughts about him as a prospect and a, a potential contributor going forward? Well, yeah, so my, my initial reaction was, all right, sweet. The Lions got a wide receiver. And then because I didn't know too much about him, I said, let me read up about Mr. Quintez Cephas. And then I was immediately disappointed. And I'm not going to lie. He's my least favorite pick of any of the selections that the Lions made. Give me, give me a reason. Why, why, why are you so down on him? He's slow. Mm-hmm. He doesn't create separation. Mm-hmm. He, Sounds like a Lions wide receiver so far. Yeah. I mean, but, but not in a, but not in a good way. Like Kenny Galladay does all that stuff, but in a good way, like Marvin Jones does that stuff, but in a good way, Quintez Cephas just seems like not good. (laughs) That's my hashtag analysis. Uh, It's accurate at least. I I wasn't a fan. Um, I was a bit more familiar with him. Uh, Packers fans love Raz. They love it. So I have a lot of Packers followers on Twitter. Um, and I get a lot of questions about a lot of players. Cephas comes up a lot. He played for Wisconsin. So he's a player that came up many, 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 many times. So uh, I'm very familiar with him as a player. Um, I was not excited about the pick at all. Um, he ran a very slow 40, ran a 4.7 something, 4.72, 4.73. Um, he ran a 4.62 at his pro day. Um, he's not fast and he plays not fast on tape. Um, I've gotten inundated with requests to compare to Anquan Bolden. He's not, um, not stylistically Anquan Bolden, uh, Anquan Bolden. Um, you know, this guy had 900 yards in, in last year. He had a 1,496 total yards, uh, his entire college college career. He's not productive receiver at Wisconsin. Um, the big talk that people have is that, that Jeffrey Jeff Okuda really liked him. He said that he was one of the most difficult receivers that they played against because he had a hundred yard game against Ohio state. Um, Gil Brandt had said that he really liked him and had said that, you know, you, you can't really take it just for the 40 time. Um, I don't buy either of those explanations having watched him because I, I can't, I don't see any of that on the tape when you turn it on. Um, he's a guy that can get a contested catch here and there. Um, 
he's just not like, like Brian said, he's just not, he doesn't, he wins in the same way that Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones do in that he's, he's physical and he can help muscle people, but he doesn't do it nearly as well, nowhere near as consistently. And he doesn't have anything else to back up on. Kenny Galladay is still a, an explosive fast at the top of his, his route type of guy. He can get up to speed and be moving by the time he gets to the top of his route. See, so this can't do that. He doesn't have a second gear. He's, he's slow from the start, slow to the finish line. Um, that, that type of play doesn't get you very far. Um, you can only do so much with that. I did a look. Um, I looked at all the receivers who had ran a four, seven over the last five seasons. Um, so it only really counted four seasons. I was hoping to do more before we got on, but um, of those receivers, there was, I think nine uh, that had ran a four, seven or worse at the combine. And they combined for something like 16 catches over the last four seasons um, combined over nine players. Um, it's, it's not something that you find a lot of immediate success with. Um, that doesn't mean he can't have a role. Uh, Bill Belichick has always had a blocking receiver, a receiver that's good on the boundary blocking. Matt Patricia has done that too. They drafted Travis Fulgham with that in mind. Um, most of their undrafted free agents are signed because they can block. So uh, I think that he has a role on the team if he makes the roster. I don't think that role is go catch a bunch of passes and move the chains. I think it's block on the boundary when we run our outside zone stuff. Um, and and that's, that's my analysis of the pick without saying that he's not great. Yeah, and it's interesting because he himself in his introductory press conference with Lions Media mentioned his blocking specifically. He's like, yeah, I'm willing to block. I'm willing to go out there and be physical. It's clear the physicality part of the game is something that he enjoys doing and it helps him a little bit as a receiver. Um, but yeah, what, the, the endorsements that he gets, one I take with a little bit of heart. If Jeff Okuda is saying this is the best guy he's faced, like there's clearly something good about there about him there. And, and maybe there's some untapped potential there. I don't think he has that big of a ceiling because of his athletic limitations, because he really only wins one way jump balls, outpowering people. That being said, that's the kind of receiver that Matthew Stafford can make look really good because he can fit things in tight windows. He can give you an opportunity to get the ball. He can make it. So the ball gets there so that whatever little separation you have is still there by the time the ball gets. So um, it, it's like, like you, I don't expect any contributions offensively really in, in year one. Um, he's a guy that'll probably hang around either, if not on the practice squad, then um, you know, as their, their fifth or sixth receiver on on the roster and, and is inactive most, most uh, weeks, because I don't really see a lot of special teams value, even though he is kind of a physical guy um, there. Um, but maybe a guy that, that develops into, I don't know, a wide receiver for uh, a guy that can come in and, and play a little bit. If, if Marvin Jones or whoever the Marvin Jones is of 2021 uh, gets in there, but I just, I don't really see a high ceiling here. So I'm not very high on the pick either. Um, but, it, but we're talking fifth round here. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not hating on, on taking a shot at, at a guy like this who um, can, can win sometimes with, with strong arms. So uh, let's move on to the next pick. We're still in the fifth round here. Uh, still in the skill position area, Lions go double dipping at r- running back, and I my mentions get flooded on Twitter when the Lions draft New Mexico State's Jason Huntley. Now, let me be clear up front: I don't mind the Lions taking a running back in the fifth round, even if they've already taken one in the second round. My concern is only taking one early. I don't care if you double dip because we're throwing darts at this point. 
Uh, but Jason Huntley's an interesting guy because speed. Speed is the number one, uh, you know, thing you can say about him. He wasn't invited to the combine, but um, if his if his pro days are true, he basically would have run the fastest among this running back class. Uh, he's a, he's a kick returner. Um, got some receiving skills. Uh, guys, what what was your initial? What's your what? Let's not go initial. Tell me what you think about this pick now, and and maybe what it means for for twenty twenty and beyond. Yeah, I, I think was we a talked huge about fan of this pick. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Yeah, I was a huge fan of this pick. Uh, this was actually one of my guys that, that I keyed in on. Um, he wasn't a Raz superstar, but he was a guy that when he when he first had his pro day, when we were still doing pro days, uh, he had a legitimately great pro day. Um, he was one of the last guys that had a legitimately great pro day. A lot of guys since then have had not so legitimately great pro days, but uh, he was very fast, very explosive not very agile, little. Um, but I, I had heard somebody compare him to Tariq Cohen, very similar athletic profiles. Um, he's a little bit better athletically than Tariq Cohen is. Doesn't have the same level of tape. Um, but he's a really good player. The guy can move in space. He can catch. Um, he got hammered a ton last season behind the line on on receiving downs. They, they, they leaned on him a bit too heavily last year, and he paid for it. I think he had 4.8 yards per catch last year on 40 catches, which is really bad for, yeah, for a running back. But it, it wasn't all, oh, he just doesn't know what he's doing. He's just getting caught. It's just they telegraphed a lot of passes, and he just had to deal with getting hit by multiple guys. Um, but when he can get out in the open field, he's electric. He can move. Like you mentioned, he's fast. He's, he's a home run, home run guy. You put him on the field when you want to do something different and you want to get somebody in space. I think we're going to see designed plays for Tyler Huntley, similar to what we used to get for Jamal Agnew, who might be off the roster with this pick. Um, I think this is a guy that can have an immediate impact on the roster. Uh, not a 20, 30 snap a game type of guy, but a guy that's going to get some snaps on game day and make the game, not just the active roster, but the game day roster. That's great for a fifth round. Absolutely. Ryan, do you feel the same way? Are you as high on him or are you a little more cautious in your, your evaluation of him? No, I think, I think that's a pretty spot on analysis from Kent. I will say that Kent had one Freudian slip and called him Tyler Huntley because we both secretly wish that that player was on the Detroit lions. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Kent. I, I think, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's going to get me too, buddy. I mean, that was, that was the first thing uh, Jeremy said initial reaction. Um, and that was one of the first things I, I, I said on Twitter. I was like, oh, we drafted the wrong Huntley, Kent. But, um, you know, you, you said he, he went out, he had a great pro day. I think watching his tape, it just, it, his athleticism, like, really matches up to what he does on tape. And um, even though he runs kind of weird, uh, Alex had made that comment about his running style in terms of, like, his upper body. But, I mean, if he gets the job done, he gets the job done. It's, uh, it's, it, it's going to be it's going to be potentially at the cost though of Ty Johnson. And we talked about that earlier about how that running back backfield is going to shake out. Um, it, it, this might be the guy who takes Ty Johnson's job, uh, which is funny because on Twitter, I think what Ty Johnson had like one word to say like about speed or fast speed. or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cryptic, but at the same time, I mean, you have to think that, Hey, that, that guy who just got drafted, like he's got my role. Yeah. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting camp battle. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I think I quote tweeted and said, and Ty Johnson chimes in, and then someone's like, wow, he sounds really excited. And, and then he responded, Ty Johnson responded to that person who was like, actually, I am. And so maybe that's the sign he is up for the challenge. I mean, he has to see the writing on the wall with that pick. And yeah. I think that's my only concern with the pick, honestly, is that like you just pick the same player in back to back years. And again, we're talking about the fifth round. I'm not going to get super mad about it, but you, it seems like you're not giving Ty Johnson a chance here. Like, I know Ty Johnson wasn't much of a factor last year, and but he did finish the season strong. Um, and it, it's interesting because Bob Quinn said specifically, like, yeah, this is the competition. He's in competition with Ty Johnson. We, we have running backs of all shapes and sizes. We're going to try to find roles for as many of them as we can. But those guys are pretty similar players. And, and he also threw out J.D. McKissick. And I think that's what they were probably hoping Ty Johnson turns into. And for whatever reason, maybe they've they've gotten in their head that, it's not going to be Ty Johnson or maybe they're just like, you know what? We have this guy too. Now let's, let's put him in a camp battle and see who wins it. And that's fine. I just felt it was a little bit of a redundant pick. That's all. And I guess, I guess the other question, and I think we already mentioned is, is what does this mean for Jamal Agnew? Right? <clears throat> because while Jamal Agnew is maybe the only punt returner, like pure punt returner on the roster, they could, they could technically throw Danny Amendola back there if they wanted. Um, he doesn't really bring like he doesn't really do much other than that. He's not a great kick returner. Um, he's not a great nickel corner. Um, I don't think they trust him defensively. And so we talk about um, Huntley, and he can do more than kick return. You like you said, he can be that gadget guy that the JD McKissick was last year. Um, he can be the the six to ten offensive snaps and and be that weapon in space. Whereas Agnew really just punt returns and he, he's damn good at it, but that's kind of all he does. Right. And, and on those, on those JD McKissick plays, one thing that you can, you can really say about Huntley is there's never going to be a moment where you think he's running in sand. Um, <laughs> and McKissick McKissick had some good moments last year, but there were some plays where he didn't look very fast. Didn't look very explosive. I don't think you ever see that with, with Huntley. Um, there's times when he can't really control where he's going when he's going fast, but he's, he can get up to speed in an instant and he's going fast from that moment on. Yep. What's the term Con- contact balance that, that one, not so great of a strength with him, but uh, yeah. speed and explosion. He's got it for days. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to line six round pick the moment you all have been waiting for. With the six overall, six round pick, the Lions take Utah defensive tackle, nose tackle, John Penasini, uh, six foot three, or six foot one, 318 pounds. I was saying it from the beginning of round three. I wanted the Lions to take a nose tackle. I wanted the guys to take a big guy who can stop the run. They finally did it in round six. Is this guy going to make the team though? Is, is it, is he, I mean, a lot of people were looking at, at Lakey Foto as, as a guy, Brett Whitefield said, Penasini's a little bit of a better fit. His teammate, oddly enough. Um, <clears throat> do you think this guy is, is, is gunning for John Atkins's job and, and maybe even has a potential to be a nose tackle starter in, in the, in the maybe distant future? Mm. I don't think he does. I don't even think he makes the team this year. And I, I really like him as a prospect. Um, mm-hmm. Tennessee, you mentioned is 318 pounds. So this is going to sound weird for normal people, but that's really small. Okay. That's, that's very small for what he does. Uh, 318 pounds is, is, is very slender and very thin for a defense or a nose tackle. 
know, that's more your three technique type. And that's not what Penasini does. Well, he's, he needs to be a lot bigger. Jeremy, you got to make it through, man. Um, He's got to work. (laughs) He's got to work on, on bulking up, getting himself into, into an NFL form. Um, I think it takes a year to do that. Um, Most nose tackles have to lose weight to get to that point. Uh, He's got the exact opposite problem. He's got to gain good weight uh, and get himself up to, to an NFL playing weight. Um, I think that it takes a year for him to do that. Danny Shelton's a perfect player for him to learn from while he does that. Um, I don't think he makes the roster this year. I think that he does next year and challenges for real significant playing time. So stash him on the practice squad this year and, and coach him up, bulk him up. Yep. And he's a nose tackle. Those guys don't usually get claimed. Right. True. Uh, Ryan, do you feel any different? Do you think he has a legitimate shot Mm -hmm. to be the the backup nose this year? I mean, I want to say that he has a shot to make the roster. Um, as Kent mentioned, yeah, he is kind of like this skinny fatty. Um, if, if you want to, if you want to say that, but he, dude, come on, I'm trying. Uh, I, I think what stood out to me, like reading his NFL draft profile from pro football focus was that he does seem to be really good with his hands. Um, seems to be a technical pass rusher because he doesn't have that size, but he is really one note. He is just a run stuffing nose tackle. Um, and he, he kind of has the build of what typical uh, run stuffing nose tackles have in the NFL, but it might be, he, he might need to put on some weight, like Kent said, in order to fit the Matt Patricia, the Matt Patricia scheme, because he's not as girthy as typical run first nose and he can get swallowed according to the PFF draft guide. All right. (laughs) We need to move on to the next guy. How dare you, Ryan? What? You want me to quote it? I'll put it in the chat. Jeremy. Uh, With the seventh (laughs) round pick, the lions went back to the Buckeye. Well, pick Deshaun Cornell. Defensive. I'm just calling him a defensive line because he feels like a guy that can play outside. He feels like a guy that can play inside. He's 285, 6'3, so he's tall. I mean, he kind of just, I mean, he's Deshaun Hand, except not as good, right? Basically. Yeah, conceptually. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I guess the most interesting thing about him, in my opinion, at least, is that he just got like, progressively better and better and better in his career. Not much of a, a, a contributor at all in his first two years. Then he becomes a starter his senior year. Beginning of the year, not so good. But then by the end of the year, he'd made a real impact. I think he had five total sacks in, in his senior year. Um, I, I want to pull the quote from uh, Bob Quinn. Let me see if I can find it. Ill-prepared. Oh, here we go. He was on our radar, but he was a little lower at the beginning of the year. I'd say in September, his grades were progressive. I'd say in September and his grades progressively got higher through October, November, December. And then the more you watched Ohio state, the more you saw this guy show up later in the season as a rusher. So pass rushing guy, um, which lines need, they need pass rushers from the interior. They need pass rushers everywhere that can get them. Um, Again, this kind of, I feel like this guy might have, the same kind of tra- trajectory as Penasini in that seems like a, a good candidate for the practice squad is his first year, but could, I mean, he's seen some improvement. Um, may, I think this guy for a seventh round pick, you, you want a guy with a high ceiling. And I think this guy has a potential high ceiling. He just needs time. I think that's yeah. spot on analysis. Mm-hmm. I, I did mention before, and, and I say it's semi tongue in cheek, but 
you know, converting a guy to fullback is a thing that, that Bill Belichick has done before. And I, I mentioned Bill Belichick because obviously the Matt Patricia coaching tree, but it's not a new philosophy. Um, the, the Steelers have been known to do that. The Giants have been known to do that. A lot of teams will, will try to convert a defensive player to fullback because they know that those are the hard-nosed guys that like to hit. So put a, put a hard-nosed guy that likes to hit there. Find a guy that you want to develop into a role and get him on a football field, getting some playing time and earning some reps and doing some, some real movement and playing against NFL-level talent so they can learn some things. Um, I think Penasini has a chance to make the roster based on that, if that's something that they try in training camp. Um, that said, I don't think that's a huge... Like, I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think that's something that they might try. Um, I think the Lions are more likely to try to use Hunter Bryant. Uh, in that role. Um, but I, I think that that's a possibility because he is extremely talented. I, th- I wish he would have been able to measure because he looks like he's got a lot of athletic traits that would have been fun. Um, I think he probably would have measured fairly high, highly by my RAS metric. Um, but unfortunately, due to obvious circumstances, we weren't able to get any numbers from him. Um, unless he did a virtual pro day, which I'm assuming he ran a four, three uphill in against the wind. He's got it on tape verified by NFL scouts. All right. Before we wrap things up, does anyone have a, an undrafted free agent signing, which technically none are official at this point, but um, we, we have a, a list of seven guys, maybe eight that, uh, that have been reported. Is there any of the UDFAs that, that stand out to you as a guy that could potentially make the roster? Hunter Bryant, right, Kent? I think he's got the best chance to make the roster. I know there's a lot of talk about him because he was highly rated by PFF. I think he was their 73rd overall player, something like that. Yeah, he was the number one tight end, oddly enough. Number one tight end. Now, I know that's exciting, and it sounds great. That says way more about the strength of this tight end class than it says about Hunter Bryant. Um, Right before the combine, uh, his name and Harrison Bryant, who actually did get drafted out of FAU, um, their names came up as potential sleepers at tight end in this class. This was a really, really weak tight end class, guys. The weakest I've covered in almost a decade. Um, it was bad, but their names came up. So I love tight ends. My favorite position to evaluate. So I was excited. Finally, guys I can watch that might actually be good. Uh, I came away from both of those guys thinking that I had wasted my time. So I'm not very excited about it. It's like, oh my God, he's the sleeper. He's the guy that could come in and, and start. Um, I think that he has a good chance to make the roster because the roster is weak at tight end. We have TJ Hawkinson. Jesse James was the big free agent signing. Very disappointing last year. I think that Bryant could step in day one ahead of Isaac Nada, but I was even lower on Nada than I am on him. Um, I at least had a draftable grade on Bryant, um, even though he didn't get drafted. Um, but I, I think that's the only real undrafted free agent that has a chance at a role simply because the, the position is pretty thin. Um, Twitch chat is, is yelling Bobby price because he's a, a Raz superstar. Any, any, any role for him that you see for the lions? Not with this roster, practice squad. The, the lions, the lions really like him. I think he's an, a, a, almost a lock for the practice squad. The lions really liked him. Um, they, they attended a, a pro day. It wasn't a virtual pro day. This was right before all that stuff became big. Um, he attended a pro day. The lions were there and they, they spent a lot of time with him. They really liked him. Um, obviously he tested extremely well and people love that. Uh, but the lions spent a bunch of money at safety for their undrafted free agents, but it just wasn't that one. They right. paid the other guy, Jeremiah Dinson, who I don't think makes the roster. And I don't think has a role. 
Um, but I, I think that this is a guy that they want to stash or try to stash and see if there's anything there. His tape is really inconsistent and it's, a, it's a small school anyway, Norfolk state. Um, but it's a guy that likes to hit and he's definitely got some, some athletic traits that pop on tape. So that's the kind of guys you want to, you want to bring in camp and see what they got. The Lions also signed uh, an Aussie rules punter guy, which we're not going to talk about because Hamza's not here, but uh, interesting UDFA class. Uh, I think anyone assuming that these guys are going to walk in and, and start playing uh, for Lions on, on Sundays, probably mistake. Um, but before we wrap up everything, I want to talk about the Lions roster. Now I want to talk about where your guys's comfortability is with this current Lions roster. Now that the draft class is done, now that free agency is mostly done. Do they have any glaring holes? Do, how do they compare to your belief of this team last year? Are they improved? Are they uh, in a spot where they can contend for, for a playoff spot, for a division title? Um, that's a lot of questions in one. So, Ryan, you have to answer every single one of them right now. Okay, let me do it. So, first of all, I think they still need, they still need some presence up front in terms of defensive line help. Mm-hmm. I would really like if they re-signed Mike Daniels. I think it would be a beneficial deal for both sides. If you made it a heavily incentive laden contract. So they could stand to improve there. The offensive line is what it is. I I do think that it is improved. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast, but I guess we'll wait to see what that looks like. I think, I think my overall sentiment about this team is last year, they ran into a lot of bad luck. Their franchise quarterback got injured, missed eight games. With that being said, some of their top tier talent did not play like top tier talent. Snacks Harrison was not the Snacks Harrison that we all knew and and loved for a half a season. Darius Slay was not the Darius Slay that we had known and loved for seasons on seasons on seasons end. I think what the Lions have done is they've put together a roster that feels a bit transitional and it feels as though Matt Patricia is finally starting to get all of his players here. And I know that in the initial phase, in the initial stage of this in 2017, in that, in that first draft where, you know, Frank Ragnow and they're truly adhering to the ideas and the principles that Matt Patricia has of building from the football out. I think finally at this point, this is the first iteration of this is a Matt Patricia team and this is a Bob Quinn team. Yeah. And this is, I, I mean, they're, they're truly, they're, they're even at the out stages. They, they drafted a cornerback with their very, very first pick. So at this point, I think you need to consider that this is a truly make or break season for Matt Patricia. I will not say that it's a make or break season for Bob Quinn. I will say that I think that initial reaction, this is Bob Quinn's best draft. Wow. Strong, strong sentiment there. Ken, what, you, you seem to always kind of have a good grasp on where this roster is. I know you thought last year's roster was good, and um, obviously they, they got into some injury concerns. So, so where, where are your overall thoughts on where this roster is right now? Is it, is it where it needs to be to at least contend for a division title? Contend for a division title? So they were really close last year. Where you, even though they only won a few games, almost every game the Lions could have won. I mean, how you, we all watched it. Our hearts all made it through the season banging out of our chest because in the last two minutes of the game, they had almost won and then they didn't. Yeah. You know, it was, it was our worst snatching victory from the jaws of def- or snatching defeat from the jaws of victory season that we've had in a while. And it's extremely frustrating to have that a team that is almost there. 
Uh, so the question is, did they get close enough to there to, to make that leap to be a playoff contending team? Um, I think if they didn't, they're close. I think this team is, has pushed itself enough that they've done enough that they could probably contend. I don't think that they're built long-term yet. I, I think pulling, pulling, pushing or drafting a running back early is something that teams that are already built and, and have top-down structure that they can afford to take that kind of luxury. I don't think the Lions have that, but they're trying it anyway. That could be just the whole win now thing that they got to do something now to show some kind of improvement. It could be that they feel that they're that close, that they're only a little bit away. Um, I don't think they address their linebacking core nearly enough. Um, I know Ryan didn't mention that, but the, the, he mentioned almost every other aspect of the team that had changed in some way. Um, the linebacking core brought in Jamie Collins, but other than that, they didn't really do a lot. Um, Julian Aquara is going to play that Jack role. Um, but the ins- inside linebacker and the Sam linebacker spots, the only change is, is that Jamie Collins is in-house. We've still got Jared Davis going to be getting a significant amount of snaps. We've still got Christian Jones going to be getting a significant amount of snaps, uh, along with Jelani Tavai. Um, we don't know if Tavai's injury is going to play a factor at all. We don't know how long his recovery timeline was. Um, because of the offseason, nobody really has any idea where any of that stuff lands. So there's a lot of uncertainty with where the team might be coming into this season. Uh, but I do feel that they're better than they were last year as a whole. I don't think that they improved enough to be a, a we use the term contender a little bit loosely, I think, because we're talking yeah. about a, a team that could make the postseason, right? I don't think this is a team that could contend with the big dogs just yet. I don't think this team is going to go in and face a, a top tier team with the expectation that they're going to win and play hard and play strong. I think they would come into that kind of matchup with the, the idea that they would lose pretty spectacularly. Um, <laughs> but, but I, but I think that they can, they can beat the teams they should beat. Um, and that was an issue that they had last year is they, they were always contending even with the hard teams, but even against the weak teams, they would still find ways to lose. I don't think right. they have that in the coming season. I think they can beat the guys they're expected to and at least put up a fight against the ones they're not expected to. You know, that at least puts us back to where we were a couple of years prior. True. That's, I mean, that's, that's the Jim Caldwell era right there. <clears throat> um, although towards the end, he had trouble beating some of the bad teams too. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there locked in step with you. I think this team is better offensively, which is scary. Um, if Ryan, if we are to believe Ryan as well, if, if that offensive line is scary, there's an, it's improved there's no doubt that the team's better offensively. Um, and then you, you throw in a lot of change on defense. There's a lot of change. And obviously the question is, is change improvement? We don't know yet. Um, I do like some of the moves they made. I think that like Ryan said, the the defensive line still needs to be upgraded a little bit, especially on the interior. But I, I, I entered this off season with not a lot of optimism and it's starting to grow. And, and like every team's fans, Right after the draft, you're going to feel a little more optimistic than you probably should. Unless but, you're the Packers. Unless you're the Packers. And th- <laughs> that's also what I was going to bring up. I don't think there were a lot of good moves overall in the NFC North. Now, I saw a lot of draft grades out there giving the Vikings a, a lot of credit because they had 80 picks in the third day or whatever it was. But in terms of immediate impact guys, I don't know that the Vikings came away with a lot of a lot of great. Every move they they seemed to make was to counteract a, a, a different move. And I know you could say the same with the Lions a little bit with like Slay and Okuda and and with uh with the Vikings it's you know it's Diggs, Justin Jefferson, whatever. I just think if you look at the full offseason, 
it's hard to make any sort of argument that the Lions weren't the most improved team in the NFC North, and that's what gets me excited for 2020. That's it. And that's it for this show, guys. Thank you for joining us for our draft recap. Thank you to Math Bomb, Kent Lee Platty, at Math Bomb on Twitter for joining us and for being an unbelievable machine this entire weekend. Uh, Kent, I can't thank you enough for all the contributions you've given your given us at Pride of Detroit. All of the Lions fans I know are, are are thrilled about all the success that you're starting to see that you've that is long overdue. Um, so appreciate everything you did this weekend. I go go to bed. After this, I just want you to close your eyes and go to bed. Blissful sleep for Kent Lee Platty. Can you do that for me? That's that's your last assignment that I'm going to give you. Is just go to bed. I have to uh, I have to go torment my family on that Animal Crossing game they got. They, uh, <laughs> they they love to to go fishing and try to build up their island. I make tanuki statues and hide them in places all over their whatever they're trying to do. Just place these giant raccoon statues all over the place. So I'm going to do that first and maybe bet. Okay. I'll allow it. I'll allow it since it's, it's something that's supposed uh, apparently is fun. I'll allow you to do it. <laughs> uh, and Ryan, I don't want to, I don't want to tone down any of my appreciation for you. Uh, you, it was the end of day two and I was ready to just fold it in. And I was just like, I'll do all this work in the morning. I just want to go to bed. And you're like, no, come on. I'll help you. We'll, we'll, we'll tag team this together. We pulled through, we finished all of the things we needed to on day two. And it got me like an extra hour of sleep on Sunday on Saturday morning. So appreciate you. Appreciate you joining us for all these crazy podcasts and, and Twitch sessions. Uh, you, you were, you were, you were, you were my rock as I put on Twitter. Hey, just like John Penasini, you did a really good job of wrapping that up. <laughs> That's it. That's the outro. I'm not saying anything. That's that's the last. <laughs> Cut it right there, Chris. <laughs> Call recording off. <laughs>